It's been more than a decade since she disappeared, but her family in Indiana is not giving up hope for closure. Nikki McCowan was last seen 14 years ago today, leaving a laundromat in Richmond. She was a 28-year-old mother about to be married. A few months later, investigators found her vehicle in Dayton. A former Trotwood police officer was named as a person of interest, but killed himself as investigators tried to arrest him on a murder warrant in a separate case. You wanted the best, you got the best. The hottest podcast in the world, True Crime Monkey. Thank you to all the listeners out there tuning in to the new True Crime Monkey podcast. As you may know, we are dropping four podcast episodes today as part of launch day. Make sure to check out the other episodes on Mara Murray, Erica Baker, and Cheryl Coker as well. And don't forget to hit the like and subscribe buttons and ring that bell notification to be alerted when we drop new episodes. On Sunday, July 22nd, 2001, 28-year-old Nikki McCown attended church in her hometown of Richmond, Indiana. After church, Nikki headed over to a nearby laundromat while her fiancé and high school sweetheart, Robert Bobby Webster, met up with his best man at a local tuxedo shop to get fitted for his upcoming wedding that was scheduled in just three weeks. Bobby and Nikki had dated all through high school, but had broken up when Bobby moved to California. However, after his return, about three years prior to her disappearance, Nikki and Bobby had rekindled their relationship. The two planned to meet up later that afternoon at 4.30 p.m. at Nikki's mother's house, but that meeting would never take place. Marilyn Renee Nicole McCown was born on January 6, 1973. Nikki had a nine-year-old daughter, Peyton, from a previous relationship. Nikki and Peyton's father, Stephen, maintained a cordial relationship and co-parented their daughter. Nikki was the youngest of 10 children in a very close-knit family and was especially close with her sister, Michelle. At the time of her disappearance, Nikki worked just over the state line in Dayton, Ohio, which is about a 45-minute drive from her home in Richmond, Indiana. Nikki worked at the Montgomery County Education and Pre-Release Center. She began her career there as a corrections officer and had worked her way up to a position in the accounting department. She was also a member of the facility's hostage negotiation team. Additionally, Nikki was taking classes at Sinclair Community College in Dayton, Ohio, in hopes of becoming a U.S. Marshal or working for the FBI. On that fateful day of July 22, 2001, after initially going to the laundromat, Nikki returned to her mother's home. Nikki's mother was watching Peyton while Nikki was busy. Nikki told her mother that she was not comfortable waiting at the laundromat because two Hispanic men were harassing her there. Nikki was a very attractive woman and had a similar situation happen once before with an unidentified white male. Her mother told her to just get her clothes and finish her laundry there at her home. Nikki left her mother's home, presumably to return to the laundromat, but no one knows for certain what happened after that, and Nikki never returned back to her mother's home. Nikki's fiancé, Bobby, initially assumed that she had lost track of time 
and was possibly running other wedding-related errands. But around 5.30 p.m., Bobby became concerned and started looking for Nikki. Nikki's family shortly learned that Bobby was looking for Nikki and also became concerned. At about 8.30 p.m. that same evening, Bobby and the family go to the Richmond Police Department to file a missing persons report, but they are told that they must wait 72 hours before a report can be filed. The next morning, Nikki's family contacted her place of employment to see if Nikki had shown up for work that day, and unfortunately they were told that she had not reported for work. Obviously very concerned, the family immediately took action. A local business printed up free flyers and Nikki's family, friends, and even co-workers started canvassing the area between Richmond, Indiana and Dayton, Ohio, posting flyers and searching for Nikki. It was totally out of character for Nikki to miss work and to not let people know what she was doing, and even more so when it came to caring for her daughter, Peyton. The family knew something serious had happened. As the family starts attempting to trace Nikki's steps, they find out that the laundromat did not have surveillance cameras. However, a convenience store just down the street did have cameras, and Nikki was seen on camera exchanging money with the cashier, exiting the store, and turning left to where she had parked. But unfortunately, that was all the information that could be ascertained from the camera footage. Witnesses were also found that had seen Nikki at the laundromat, and had also witnessed the two Hispanic men harassing her, but stated they did not see the men follow her from the laundromat. But it would be Bobby's actions and inactions that would soon be under examination. On the day of Nikki's disappearance, even though Bobby would be the first to look for Nikki and report her to be missing to the family, he reportedly did not want to file the missing person report. It was at the insistence of Nikki's father that they go to the police station to file the report, but Bobby's peculiar behavior was just beginning. Just days after Nikki disappeared, Bobby returned to the jewelry store to get a refund of the deposits they had put down on their wedding rings. And even more bizarre, Bobby went to Sinclair Community College, where Nikki had been taking classes, and attempted to get a cash refund for her tuition. He was, however, unsuccessful, as Nikki's tuition was paid by her employer. Bobby also canceled their upcoming wedding, Bobby would claim that he never canceled the wedding and they merely postponed it. As for the cash refunds, Bobby stated that he needed the money to help with the cost of the search for Nikki and to purchase a cell phone so he could be in contact and stay up to date on the search efforts since he did not have a cell phone of his own at that time. Sell back the ring. It was only a deposit on the ring. It was a railway. How I sell back a railway? You know, canceling a wedding, we're still pretty much paying on the rec hall and everything. All I did was make some calls going, you know, something's going on. You know, we're going to be delayed. This wedding's in three weeks. Even if Nikki came back that moment, you know, she's been missing for days. I doubt the wedding's going to be planned, you know, right on schedule. Something's going to be delayed. I never canceled nothing. It is important to note that Bobby did take a polygraph test, which he failed. More specifically, he failed the question that asked if he was responsible for Nikki's disappearance. Bobby would later explain that the reason he did feel responsible is that if he'd have stayed with her that day, she wouldn't have ended up missing. Sometime later, Nikki's family would end up having to take Bobby to court to retrieve Nikki's belongings that he had in his possession. But Bobby's story doesn't end there. 
We'll get back to more on Bobby a bit later in the podcast. Over three months would pass with no sign of Nikki or clues to what might have happened. That is until the vehicle she was driving, which actually belonged to her fiancé Bobby, they had traded cars for the day, was found at the Meadows of Catalpa apartment complex in Dayton, Ohio, in November 2001. In a strange twist of fate or amazing coincidence, the Meadows of Catalpa apartment complex is where Nikki's daughter Peyton's father, Stephen, just happened to live. However, it is important to know that Nikki and her fiancé Bobby had previously also lived in that same apartment complex, and in fact, Nikki's driver's license still listed this as her official address, as she needed an Ohio address to be able to work at the Montgomery County Education and Pre-Release Center. When the car was found, the door was ajar and Nikki's clothes were neatly folded in a laundry basket in the back of the vehicle. The driver's seat position was very far forward, similar to where Nikki would have needed the position of the seat to be in order to drive the vehicle. It also appeared that the door lock had been punched out and that the radio had been stolen or removed. Some suspicion was immediately cast on Stephen, Peyton's father, who currently lived at the complex where the vehicle was found. Stephen was cooperative with police and denied any involvement in Nikki's disappearance. He agreed to take a polygraph test, and he passed. He also voluntarily provided a DNA sample. Later, Stephen would state, If I was smarter, she still would be here, and we would still be together. I wasn't good to her. I wasn't at all. I cheated, and I was abusive. If I was smarter, she'd still be here, and we'd still be together. I wasn't good to her. I wasn't at all. I cheated, I was abusive. It is important to note that although the relationship between Stephen and Nikki had deteriorated over the years, they remained cordial to one another and by all accounts were happy with their co-parenting arrangement. Nikki's family and the police do not believe Stephen was involved in any way with Nikki's disappearance. Could it be possible that someone was trying to frame Stephen for Nikki's disappearance? While working at the Montgomery County Education and Pre-Release Center, Nikki would meet a co-worker by the name of Tommy Swint. While it is a fact that Nikki and Tommy Swint did go out on one date, there is much speculation and rumor as to if there was anything more than that, or if any relationship resulted. Nikki's family is adamant that they only went out the one time, and that while Tommy did want a continued romantic relationship, Nikki did not and was insistent that they remain just friends and co-workers. Tommy Swint was married at the time and had children with his wife. However, Tommy had another girlfriend as well, named Darlene. It is rumored that Tommy spent most of his time at Darlene's home instead of with his own wife and kids. Darlene's residence was less than half a mile from the Meadows of Catalpa apartment complex where Nikki's car was ultimately found. But it gets better. Darlene also worked at the Montgomery County Education and Pre-Release Center and actually was good friends with Nikki. In fact, Nikki and Darlene spoke on the phone the same day she disappeared, talking about where to buy hair and nail vitamins that Darlene had told Nikki about. Darlene claimed that the conversation was short, nothing special, and was very brief. Later inspection of phone records showed that the call was much longer than Darlene originally claimed and in later interviews with Darlene's neighbors, they claimed that they had seen the car Nikki was driving 
parked in Darlene's driveway on the same day Nikki disappeared. But let's get back to Tommy Swint. Tommy had previously been in the Marine Corps with hopes of becoming a military policeman, but after three years as a Marine, Tommy went AWOL, which he would claim later was due to a mental condition caused by his unhappy childhood. He was shortly thereafter dishonorably discharged from the Marines. He later tried to become a police officer at several different area police departments, but was never hired. At least not yet. Although they were allegedly just co-workers, it has been said that Nikki looked at Tommy as more of a big brother figure. However, it is rumored that Tommy had an infatuation with Nikki. He was known to loan her money and buy her gifts, which those who knew them found very odd since Tommy already had a wife and a girlfriend. Tommy also sent Nikki gifts. He even sent her a gift for her bridal shower, which was delivered by a mutual female friend who was attending the shower. That gift was lingerie. Not exactly what you would send someone who is just a friend, and definitely not for a wedding shower gift. Nikki's sister Michelle would say that Tommy had a history of stalking and harassing not only Nikki, but other women as well. In a very disturbing story told by Michelle, she had went to visit Nikki and upon arriving heard yelling coming from Nikki's apartment. She heard Nikki yell, get off me, and when Michelle entered, she found Nikki in a position that appeared like she was trying to kick Tommy out as she screamed that Tommy was trying to rape her. Upon seeing Michelle, Tommy stopped, then laughed saying it was just a joke, and then he left the apartment. No charges were ever filed regarding this incident. Michelle also speaks about another incident. Nikki had reportedly borrowed some money from Tommy. Knowing that she would get paid the next day, Nikki called Tommy and said, I'll have your money tomorrow. To which Tommy replied, I know how you can pay me back. Tommy asked Nikki to have a threesome with another female. Nikki declined and told Tommy, you know I don't get down like that, and hung up on him. The next morning when they woke up, the tires on Nikki's car had been slashed, and so had the tires on Bobby's car. So Michelle went to Nikki to help them out. While Bobby would contend that it was Nikki's ex, Steve, that did it, Nikki pulled Michelle aside and said, I know exactly who did this, saying it was Tommy Swint. It was also apparent that Nikki did not want Bobby to know that she had borrowed money from Tommy. An ex-girlfriend of Tommy's would later state that Tommy once threatened her and her entire family. She said it was hell dealing with them. He threatened to kill me, my mother, my son, and put a bullet through each of our heads. When she asked if she thought Tommy was capable of murder, she replied, absolutely. She claimed that Tommy backed up his words by saying that he had killed in the Marines and that the urge was still within him. After Nikki's disappearance, police interviewed Nikki's co-workers, including Tommy. But during the interviews, Tommy was not very cooperative. He wore sunglasses during the interviews and often laughed at the questions he was asked and many times went way off topic when responding to their questions. He was not completely cooperative. There was something odd about him, never quite cooperative, wouldn't answer questions completely or would go off subject. While stopping short of calling him a suspect, police stated that Tommy was the primary person of interest in Nikki's case. In 2007, six years after Nikki had disappeared, Richmond, Indiana police who were 
and are still to this day investigating Nikki's case, found out that Tommy Swint had been hired as a police officer in Trotwood, Ohio, a suburb of Dayton, Ohio, and not far from where he and Nikki had previously worked together. When Trotwood police were made aware that Tommy was a person of interest in Nikki's disappearance and that he had not disclosed this on his application, he was forced to resign. Tommy claimed that he was unaware of his status as a person of interest and promptly filed a lawsuit against the city of Trotwood and its police department. He even held a press conference regarding the issue. The lawsuit was quickly dismissed when it was proven that Tommy was, in fact, informed of his status as a person of interest in Nikki's case. Due to all the media coverage, and even Tommy putting his own face out on all the local media outlets, Dayton, Ohio police received a call from a tipster or confidential informant who recognized Tommy's face and informed them to take a look at Tommy Swint as a suspect in a 1991 unsolved murder of a then 33-year-old woman named Tina Marie Ivory. Ivory's partially nude body was found December 17, 1991 in Jefferson Township, Ohio, in a brush pile by a tree trimming crew. She had been beaten, strangled, and wrapped in a semi-transparent trash bag with a red, white, and blue blanket. She was last seen alive on December 14, 1991 at about 7 p.m. It was later rumored that Tina Marie Ivory had dated Tommy Swint in the past and that she sometimes worked as a sex worker. Other rumors would surface that Tommy Swint was actually her pimp, which he had been known to do on occasions. When questioned, Tommy denied any knowledge of knowing Ivory. Dayton, Ohio and Richmond, Indiana police then began working together on the case and discovered that Tommy Swint's DNA was a match to that found on Ivory's body. They also matched a partial print that was found on the adhesive tape that was used on the bags to conceal the body to those of Tommy Swint. However, by the time that Swint was indicted in 2010 in Ivory's murder, he had already moved from the state of Ohio back to his home state of Alabama, where he was working as a security guard. Former Trotwood police officer Tommy Swint was indicted for murder Wednesday afternoon. A grand jury decided there's enough evidence to try Swint in the 1991 death of Tina Marie Ivory. Her nude, strangled body was found on a pile of trash by a crew of tree trimmers in December of that year. Dayton and Richmond police had already been in contact with the local Phoenix City, Alabama police to arrest Swint in the murder of Tina Ivory and to have him extradited to Ohio. Then shortly after 12 noon on February 3rd, 2010, as police approached Swint's home, they heard a single gunshot. Tommy Swint, 43 years old, was dead of a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. His death came just an hour after Montgomery County, Ohio grand jury had returned the indictment. Police would later reveal that they believed Tommy may have actually been a serial killer, but did not link him specifically to any other unsolved murders. According to Michelle Miller of the Richmond, Indiana Police Department and the lead detective assigned to Nikki's case, Tommy Swint is still the number one suspect in Nikki's disappearance. And even though Swint committed suicide, she still believes that Nikki can be found. She believes that Swint's girlfriend at the time in 2001, Darlene, who Swint was living with, knows more than what she has told police. Miller is quoted as saying, I believe there's another person that Tommy was close to that has some of the answers. 
if not all of them. I believe that there's another person of interest um, that Tommy was close to that has some of the answers, if not all of them. While the Richmond police may state that Tommy Swint is their primary suspect, I do certainly hope that other players in this mystery are continuing to be looked at as well. As we know, Tommy Swint died on February 3rd, 2010, and most recently, Nikki's fiance, Bobby Webster, died on March 14th, 2021 of a heart attack. His obituary stated that he was preceded in death by his fiance, Nikki McCown. But still alive are Bobby's son's mother and former girlfriend, April, and former girlfriend that Tommy was living with, Darlene. Guilty or innocent, they at least need additional scrutiny. As we close out this podcast, I'd like to leave you with a video made by Nikki's daughter, Peyton, who is now a mother herself, and Nikki would be a grandmother. This is what Peyton remembers about her mom. forget the day my mom disappeared um it was kind of like a I don't know it felt like a movie I just remember my cousin coming up telling me that one of our moms was gone and it kind of just dawned on me that it was mine um it's been a rough 11 years but um I'm pushing through it (laughs) um it's just a day that will never be forgotten whether she's found or not it's still something that will always somehow affect me. I don't really talk about it as much as a lot of other people or how much people would want me to just because I I like to deal with things on my own. So talking about it on national television or something like that's kind of new to me basically. But um, I can't really tell you what it was like or how it felt or how hectic it was because I was only nine and I was taken away from the situation at an early age. Um, I really didn't understand what was going on at that point. I was just young and I I heard a lot of rumors, a lot of things kids at home from school would say to me, a lot of mean and nasty things like that, but as I grew up I realized that I, I, I didn't have a mother that I wanted because someone had taken her. So I grew up without a mom, but I had a grandmother that really um, stepped up a big part. She raised a lot of kids on her own. So having a grandmother and having lots of aunts to help raise me was a big part. And I, <laughs> um, <laughs> I um, just, I just want her home. I want closer. Is what I want. And um, sometimes I feel as those as if we're never gonna get that. A lot of days that, like I said, are harder than others. And I just really, I just really miss her. I've gone a long time without my mother. So, we can just wrap it up. so it's really hard. Once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the True Crime Monkey Podcast. And make sure to check out the Nikki McCowan episode on the True Crime Monkey YouTube channel where you can view the actual news clips used for this story, interviews, as well as visit many of the points of interest mentioned in the podcast, including the laundromat, the convenience store where Nikki was last seen, where she worked, and the apartment complex where her car was found. If you have any additional information on this case, please contact the Richmond, Indiana Police Department at 765-983-7000.
7247.